Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm great, Jordan. How are you? I'm great. So, this weekend, I discovered something incredible. <laughs> so I discovered OpenAI, which can generate just scripts or you know paragraphs for you based on a given, whatever you type in, based on whatever you type in for it. Yeah. But it can also generate images. So you can generate expressionist oil paintings or digital art of Bible stories or just crazy things that you can think of. Like you can make, you know, Batman flying through a city on Mars or something like that. <laughs> you can just make it up and it will, the AI will create it for you. That's it's, it's amazing. But, uh, well, yeah. Well, and you've shown me some of these images that it came up with with regard to Bible stories and it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it, it's an incredible new technology and it's an incredible day in which we live. I think that, uh, I think that, that as with anything, we got to approach it with some caution. The great potential for good is also accompanied by a great potential for evil, uh, or, or perhaps not necessarily outright evil, but uh, some some dishonesty. And so I think we gotta we gotta be careful with that. But it's unbelievable the technology that we are able to um, enjoy today. Just phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. So this week we're looking at uh, Christian community, and specifically we're looking at Acts four thirty two through thirty seven. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so on Sunday, Jeff, you talked about how God made faith to be personal, but not private. So what should a Christian faith look like to outsiders? Well, I'll tell you, I've heard that from several different people, several different preachers. The first person, the first preacher I heard it from was a guy named Tommy Nelson. I uh, mentioned him often, the pastor of Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas. Uh, but that faith should be personal, not private. I grew up in a household where my father in particular felt like faith was a very private thing. Uh, he attended church faithfully, but he didn't want to talk about his faith. He didn't want to, you know, faith was just something you did. You kept it to yourself and you moved on with life. Um, and so that was that was unfortunately instructive to me. Um, now, what's interesting is toward the end of his life, before he went home to be with the Lord at age 56, his faith had become much less private and much more a community experience. So, so I say that to say, I think... Sometimes we get in our minds that faith is something that that we ought not to bring into a more public sphere. And there's nowhere in Scripture that compels us that that should be the case. Of course, faith is personal. It is the most personal thing that there is. Uh, God knows me better than I know myself. He reaches me at the deepest parts of who I am. 
But that faith is meant to be lived out in community. And so I think there are a couple ways we can answer your question. Um, what should the faith look like? Well, it should look like a group of people who are unashamed of Jesus. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So we ought not to be ashamed of Jesus. Um, and the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's, there's this sense in which we ought to be willing to embrace that we trust and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and to profess that we trust and follow Jesus Christ as Lord. What then should that look like? Well, I think Jesus tells us that we ought to be noticed by the way that we love one another. I had a professor one time in seminary who said, the church has got to learn to one another, one another. Yeah. So many times the, the Bible tells us that we ought to be this certain way toward one another. But Jesus in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, very specifically says, um, new commandment I give you, you are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so ultimately, I think when outsiders look at the community of Christ, they ought to see a community that loves God with all its heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loves one another as Christ has loved us. And that should be the baseline. The Bible further tells us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, to watch the way we talk, uh, let our conversation be seasoned with salt, full of grace. Um, the Bible tells us that that we should love one another um, and that we should aspire. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we should aspire to, to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, to work with our hands um, so that we might walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. So again, this idea that as we live out the faith, the way that the world will see us living out the faith will first be how we treat each other. <laughs> one of my mentors has a bumper sticker on a shelf in his office that says, God I like, but I'm, I don't much care for his fan club, <laughs> which I can appreciate because I'll tell you, when you work in the church, when, when that is your vocation, um, you see the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, I had a conversation even last week with a dear friend of mine who said, I, I prefer not to get into church politics, church arguments, church fights. And I said, well, I'm with you. But the Lord has called me to be right smack dab in the middle of them, um, because anywhere you have people, you're going to have differing opinions, divergent views, um, and it's always going to be messy. In fact, there's an old adage that that older ministers would say, you know, church would be easy if it weren't for the people. Yep. And the joke is the church is the people, not the building, not the organization, not the entity. Um, so, yeah, it gets messy. Uh, in community, but God nevertheless calls us to be in community. You know, you asked me about The Chosen a couple of weeks ago. It was a listener question. And one of the things that I think The Chosen gets really right is that as you see the disciples interacting with one another, you see some disciples that get along really well and really easily, and you see some disciples who struggle with one another. And that was absolutely the case. I mean, the Bible tells us that, that at the institution of the Lord's Supper, they were arguing with each other about which of them was the greatest. So community is always messy because we have individual human beings. All of us have our own egos, and all of us have our own issues. And, and when we 
when we come together, sometimes those can can rub each other the wrong way. But nevertheless, God calls us to live out that faith, loving one another in such a way that the world takes notice that we love each other uh, differently from the way the world might love one another. That's beautiful. That that made me think about the book of Acts and how you could almost think of it as a chronicle of the decision-making process of a church. Yeah. Because it starts and it's like, well, Judas isn't around anymore. We, I guess, should we replace him or should we not replace him? <laughs> and, you know, they, they have to decide that. They have That's to, right. you know, discuss it. And then, you know, it comes down to lots, but it's because you have good scriptural reasoning on both sides. That's right. Um, and then, you know, Acts 15, of course, which is huge, you know, do Gentiles need to be circumcised and join Israel as Israelites? Pretty, pretty big question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you even look at Paul and Barnabas. Yeah. Went on the first missionary journey together, and then uh, they're getting ready to head out on number two, and they have a sharp disagreement about John Mark, and they split up and go in different directions. Barnabas, being the son of encouragement, takes John Mark, puts his arm around him, and says, I know you messed up, but come on, we got work to do. Whereas Paul says, I don't want that guy going and, and being unreliable on this missionary journey as he was on the first. So you see conflict happen. But you see conflict happen within the context of the people of God who love one another. I think we've got to be careful, um, to use an old expression, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, it's not always going to be easy, but God never said it would. So that community is vitally important. So we've been talking about Christian fellowship, and your sermon theme was even, my faith will grow as I cultivate Christian community day by day. But Someone might argue that you don't have to be in a church community. I can be a Christian without being in church. I can be a Christian by my lonesome at home. I can be a Christian out, you know, in nature with God by myself. What would you say to that line of argument? Well, I have heard every single statement that you just said in all sorts of contexts over the course of 20 years of ministry. Mm -hmm. And there is some sense where absolutely uh, I come to Jesus individually And so I will have some of the deepest and most profound moments in my faith with nobody else around. Um, And I think that we have to have those moments. I mean, Jesus often got away by himself with the Father alone. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to trust and follow Jesus, and we're going to pattern our lives after his life, what did he do? There were times when he got alone with the Father, and there were times when he was with others. And I think the Bible very straightforwardly says, and this comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, This is a biblical admonition. This is a biblical command. This is the writer of Hebrews, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying, don't neglect to meet together. He's saying that people are already doing this 2,000 years ago. So, So Christianity is very young, and people are already starting to separate themselves off. And he says, don't do that. Get together. Stir one another toward love and good works. Encourage each other. So for me personally... I love being around people, but I would classify myself as what some would call an extroverted introvert. Yeah. And and so to, to really come to that conclusion, what you have to ask is, where do I get energy? In other words, am I energized by being around people or am I energized by being by myself? Conversely, am I drained by being around people or am I drained by being 
by myself. And really, that's a great way to determine, am I an extrovert or an introvert? Not do I like being around people or do I like being by myself, but where do I get energized from? Well, I would classify myself as as an extroverted introvert. What does that mean? I love being around people, love talking to people, love listening to people, uh, very at home in crowds and all those sorts of things, but I have to have time to recharge by myself. There, maybe, maybe it comes from growing up as an only child. I don't know. I'm very comfortable by myself. One of my favorite things to do is go out into the woods by myself. Um, but I have to have that time. I love a private devotional time, love going on long runs uh, where, I'm, where I'm thinking. That is recharging to me. And then it allows me to engage with people with the energy that I need to, to cultivate an enjoyable experience. And so, you know, some people just don't like to be around people, and that's fair enough. But nevertheless, God doesn't just say, let me affirm everything you want. He says, let me stretch you beyond where you are now. Let me sanctify you. Let me make you more like Jesus. And part of the way he's going to do that is by putting you in situations that may not be the most comfortable for you all the time. If we're always comfortable, we're, we're never growing. Yeah. So uh, one, one way of saying it is what doesn't challenge you won't change you. And if we're wanting to be changed to become more like Jesus, then we have to allow ourselves to be challenged sometimes. And, and sometimes that challenge is stepping into a group, uh, stepping into a, a church service, stepping into a Bible study or a koinonia group, and, and letting, uh, letting people get to know you as you get to know them and, and building that life together. And speaking of uncomfortable situations, it brings to mind Elijah going to Mount Horeb, speaking to the Lord in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life to take it away. So he's going and complaining about the people of God to God and saying, hey, I'm the only one that's left. What's going on? And God just kind of turns around and sends him back, and he's like, hey, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed down to false gods. There is a remnant. There are people that you should be loving. Go and be a prophet to these people. That's right. That's exactly right. And and I've had professors call that the Elijah syndrome, yeah. that, that you, 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 you feel like you're the only one. And uh, I think that the enemy likes to get us in that place, uh, isolate, divide, conquer, all those sorts of things. And sometimes there's a lot of health in recognizing that you know, maybe I'm not the only one with struggles in life. Maybe I'm not the only one with hardships in life. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of health to be gained in that community. Yeah. So thinking about community from a different angle, we see here in Acts that the believers in Jerusalem pulled their wealth into a collective fund to give to any as he had need. Now that doesn't seem to be prescriptive. Uh, there's nowhere in the New Testament that says you have to give all your money into a collective fund. Um, it just seems like it's in Jerusalem here. And actually, Paul uh, will go to his communities and take tithes from them to give to this particular Jerusalem community. Yeah. So wh- what's with this model? Why why did they set it up this way? Well, so they, they still had individual homes. It wasn't like they sold everything and just piled it into uh, a, a central um, account, to use that language. Um, they still had their own possessions. They still had their own homes. They still had their own lives, but they were doing life together. And so what did they do? Well, they contributed so that the needs of the saints might be met and that the needs of the church might be met. It's very similar to what we do here. I mean, we give 
uh, so that the the needs of the church might be met. And 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 very recently, we saw this happen when the tornadoes hit, mm-hmm. and we had people who gave remarkably generously um, to provide relief right here in Bowling Green and Warren County. And what we have done with those funds is we have helped people at their point of greatest need. And our finance team uh, has been instrumental in helping people. Our trustees have been instrumental in helping people. But what did people do? They said, oh, here's a need. We're going to contribute toward it. And then the community was tangibly blessed by that contribution. And so same sort of thing. We see generosity encouraged. And I think that, that that's something we'll discuss as part of the sermon series, but that we as God's people have to embrace, that, that often we look at it as, oh, well, we've got to pay our, our, our tithe to God, our tax to God. And, and really, the Bible tells us that we should give cheerfully because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And what does God do with those funds? Well, he takes them and... <laughs> He so often miraculously multiplies them, and he uses them to meet the needs of his people, but not only his people. Uh, He uses them to meet the needs of those in the community surrounding his people. And so I think that it's vitally important. You know, we've had people um, that were unbelievers start coming to our church because we met them at the point of their need. And how did we do that? Well, the, the generosity of God's people allowed us to meet them at the point of their need. And so there is some sense in which we still do that. We, we do. We give to the Lottie Moon offering to fund missionaries all around the world. We give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering to fund missionaries right here in, in the United States of America and in North America. We give to the, the Eliza Broadus offering to fund missionaries right here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. We give to Sunrise Children's Services that meets children who are in need of foster care all throughout our Commonwealth. We give to Hope House. We give to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We give to Refuge BG. I mean, there are things that we collectively are able to do because God's people that are called First Baptist Church Bowling Green are faithful to give. Just about all of us are going to face hard times, and and it's not just financial hard times. It is life difficulty. <laughs> it comes for all of us, and so there are times where we have to lean on each other, and in some cases that's financial, but in other cases... Um, that is that is emotional, and in all cases, it's spiritual. Um, so I think that that we see that generosity encouraged because that generosity allows God's people to do God's work. That's beautiful, Jeff. It makes me think of number seven, where they're consecrating the temple, and there are the twelve tribes and the leaders of the twelve tribes who all bring these extravagant offerings to this ceremony. Day by day, each one brings this huge offering that is identical to all the other ones, but the Bible lists out every single thing that's offered every single day, even though it's exactly the same given by each of the leaders day by day. Yeah, It's like the Bible's wanting us to know the offering of the first guy is just as important as the offering of the third guy. Like all of their offerings to God are noted by God and spelled out here in the Bible for us to read about. God sees everything that you give. He sees the things that you tangibly give. He sees the prayers that you give unto him. They're meaningful to him, and they're not worthless. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. And I think that's such an important point. Um, sometimes we feel like the church is always on the take. Give your money, give your money, give your money. Well, there's, there is a blessing 
that comes in being stretched. Again, there's there's the stretching of trusting and following Jesus. There's a blessing that comes in being stretched to to give and even to give sacrificially and to give sacrificially and cheerfully all at the same time. Again, I say this within the context of not knowing what anybody gives. And I'm sitting here with Jordan and Elliot. I have no idea what you give. I know what I give. I don't know what you give. As people embrace God's call to give, to give faithfully, to give even sacrificially, to give cheerfully, that not only is God glorified, not only is the giver blessed, but but also there's so much good we can do in the world around us. Yes, and in talking about giving, we have a listener question about Barnabas. So listeners, if you have a question, just go to the show notes or comment in the post below. So Jeff, you talked on Sunday about Barnabas being a nickname. Why did so many characters in the New Testament have nicknames? That's a great question, and I'll tell you, um, I've wondered about that myself. And, and even looking throughout the Bible, in biblical times, in biblical cultures, the, the meaning of names was vitally important. If you notice, as you read through the Old Testament, as you read through the New Testament, you see that sometimes God changes names. So going back to the Old Testament, uh, Abram was... Uh, was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, not Abraham, Abram. Mm -hmm. Abram means exalted father. But then in Genesis 17, God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Why did he do that? Well, because Abram, this this one who had not yet had children of his own, uh, was going to become the father of many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. God changed Jacob's name from Jacob, which means heel grabber, to Israel, which means he strives with God or God strives. Um, one of my favorites is Rachel when she was dying in childbirth, uh, named the son that was born to her Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. And Jacob stepped in and said, no, we're going to name him Ben-Jamin, which is son of my right hand. I bet Benjamin was glad that his name was changed. Probably. Um, you think about the name Ichabod, the glory has departed Israel. Right. <laughs> you know, um, so, uh, so then we come to the New Testament, we look at Simon. Simon, whose brother is Andrew, Simon, who is the son of Jonah, Simon bar Jonah, um, Jesus specifically in Matthew 16, after, after Simon confesses Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, um, Jesus says, you are Peter, uh, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so there's a, there's a whole conversation we can have there about that. But, but Peter is Petros in the Greek, and it is a specific stone. Um, in Aramaic, he was Kepha, or Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. Thomas, bless his heart, doubting Thomas, known as Didymus, which means the twin, um, kind of describes his character sometimes. Uh, and then James and John, who were called Boanerges, the sons of thunder. Um, and you'll remember the scene in Luke's gospel where they want to call down thunder upon the Samaritan who doesn't believe. Um, but then John, who is seen, you know, resting his head on Jesus's chest at the Last Supper, which is it? Lord? I mean, you know, so it's just the meaning of names carried a lot of significance. Now, Today, when we're choosing names for our children, you know, I mean, that's important, but 
honestly, um, when my wife and I were selecting names for our children, we were concerned more with the way they sounded, uh, more with the way that the, the construction of the first, middle, and last name uh, would look. We, we wanted it to look good on a business card or on a, on a doorway or, what, you know, wherever. Um, so, so we don't live in a culture where the meaning of the name carries as much significance. So um, I think that's why there's so many nicknames in the New Testament, because well, that's how people described each other. They, they, they named one another in ways that were more descriptive than perhaps we do today. And I've come to realize that many, many, many of them just had the same names. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, you need nicknames when you have like, what, three Judas in the dis- disciples. Um, there are multiple Simons running around in that group. And even Jesus, if I remember correctly, was one of the top 10 names of that generation. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. So Yeah, I mean, they didn't have the same name construction that we had. So so Simon Bar Jonah. Okay. Well that's that's his name. What does it mean? It means Simon son of John, Simon son of Jonah. They didn't have, you know, Jeffrey Paul Reynolds or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So I may be Jeff's son of George, but there may be a lot of Jeffs who are sons of George. And so this 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 effort at disambiguation was pretty important too. For sure. I guess what we can take from this is that God knows who each of us is, even if we share names with other people. You know, he so. sure does. And, uh, you know, if you've ever Googled yourself, if you've ever Googled your name, that can be an interesting endeavor. And to see how many of you, how many, how many people bear your name, um, it's very interesting. Even doing that on something like Facebook, um, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. it is. Well, Jeff, this has been a wonderful episode. Listeners, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening into this new year. Yeah, and let me just say to you, to Jordan, and to Elliot, who are here in the room, and to all of us um, who are a part of this podcast community, thank you for being a part of this podcast community. Thank you for submitting questions. Thank you for interacting um, faithfully. Thanks for saying you'll listen when we're out in in public and getting to have conversations. This is really, truly a community uh, as we trust and follow Jesus together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the gift of one another. Help us love one another as Christ has loved us. And let that be the distinguishing feature in a sin-fallen world that allows the world to know we belong to you. Of course, we're going to have disagreements. Of course, we're going to see things in different ways. But Lord, let us look to Jesus. Let us be humble enough to surrender ourselves and to surrender our wills to your will as revealed in Scripture. And help us to trust and follow Jesus within the context of community, growing together to become more like Jesus, that you might be more glorified in us and the world around us might be blessed. We pray these things trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.